It's time for the Predator Way Podcast. The show starts now. Yes, sir. Welcome to the Predator Way podcast on Penalty Box Radio. I'm your host, Boyd Farish. And on this episode, I welcome back to the show a favorite guest and the newest member of the Penalty Box Radio writing community. It's Kyle Perkins. Kyle, how are you? Doing good, Boyd. Loving the nice little cold weather we got going here. Might have a few snowflakes up here in Kentucky. Well, that just tells me we are fully into hockey season and I am all the way here for it. So before we get kind of into the the meat of the episode, you know, I, I really wanted to, first of all, welcome you to Penalty Box Radio. I think it's awesome Thank that you, you decided to, to join the crew and just kind of wanted to get your take on what sort of made you make the journey from, you know, doing various podcasts into making the decision to start writing. So it, it was kind of a natural progression for me. I went from uh, just being a fan and, you know, commenting on something here and there to starting with making all the memes that I made back in the day and still make. And uh, it's like, you know, I can't really get my point across exactly doing these memes. And I was asked to be on a podcast here and there uh, because of some of the memes I made with statistics and stuff like that. and. Ended up, I'm one of the co-hosts full-time of Catfish on Ice podcast. And I love doing the shows with Chad and Rich, and it's great. And I feel like I sometimes ramble and get off on a tangent on something that I'm fairly passionate about. And it's just like, man, I wish I could do this in a way that I could put all these thoughts down. And uh, I was like, you know, maybe I should try writing. And I got to talking with the the grandfather of penalty box radio, Mr. Bradford. And I was, was talking to Justin. I said, what, what would you think if I decided to write? He's like, go for it, do it. You can do it. You're, it'll be awesome. It'll be great. And this was last year sometime. And I uh, just really nervous about doing it. And uh, he was all the time like, whenever you write it, let me know. It'll be, we'll be here for you. We'll back you hundred percent of the way. And it's like, Okay. Well, the other day the urge hit me and I was like, I'm going to finally sit down and write out my thoughts. And my first article I wrote was on Tanner Janot, who I've been like the little cheering section for since he made his NHL debut. And it was something that I really loved writing. I love the story. I like the one of the things that I really like is the story of some of these players before they make it to the NHL and how they've what they've went through to get there. And one thing about Jano and uh, something I covered in this article is he plays a style of hockey that is not really the norm anymore. Uh, you go back and I compared to somebody from the same province as him as Gordy Howe. Gordy Howe, in my opinion, invented the power forward. And you don't see those guys anymore today. They're either a goon or a skill player. There's not – there's not many of those in-between guys who can do it all. Um, 
very, very, very few around the league. You look at somebody like Tom Wilson. Wilson is a big, powerful forward, but he's not really a power forward because he's not that great of a threat to score. He's he's just there to beat up on people. Ryan Reeves, same same mode. These guys are just big, big guys that are there to fight and to check people and everything else. And I think the way Jano has played, especially last year, with the way he made everybody look at him for the Calder and everything else, he might have changed the minds of some of the GMs and coaches around the league. Hey, maybe this kind of guy is more valuable to have on our team than we thought. Maybe this type of player is more valuable than just somebody you can send in to run somebody into the glass. So it was something I'm passionate about. I love those type of players. I've already got another piece in mind uh, about another Preds player that I'm wanting to write. I'm going to give it about a couple of weeks and see how he's doing, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm venturing I can make a guess about who you're thinking of, but I won't spoil it for you. And I love that you included Scott Hartnell in that article as well. Yeah, I mean, he's he's, kind of the the prototypical, you know, from – Back in the day, Predators, power forward, mm-hmm. scores goals, plays physical, such a early visage of what Tanner Janot would eventually kind of become yeah. and still could become. I mean, Hartnell had a phenomenal career in the NHL. And if Tanner Janot can continue on the trajectory that he's been on, he could have a, a similarly really good career. So I thought that was a great inclusion there, both from and origination perspective and also linking it to sort of the the Preds legacy, Preds history. I mean, whenever I first got into watching hockey, I got got to looking at videos of the Predators and I gravitated to Hartnell and Tucci. So, (laughs) I mean, that's, they're my kind of players. And you see a guy who comes up in today's game and he's playing that style it's massively different. You you watch a Penguins team right now. They do not have that guy. And I think it's really hurt them in the playoffs the last few years. They don't have a guy that can protect. Uh, they don't have a, a Boro or a Geno. It's You need those guys. They come in handy. <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, to that point, you need the guy who can protect and set the tone physically but in today's game, you can't have the straight goon. They have to be able to be productive on the ice, either in the case of Jeannot, produce offensively, or in the case of someone like Boro, play a solid defensive game, kill penalties. They can't just be a skating boxer because no. they'll be turnstiled, and you can't have that guy on the ice without just getting lit up. When you play a team, let's use Carolina for an example. Their fourth liners are so fast. If you have a mediocre player on your fourth line trying to guard them, they're going to get boat raced. And you just can't have that big pile on. We tried it with Ben Harper. See how well that went. It didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's not bring up too many awful memories of the past of, of our, <laughs> of our listeners. Well, really just wanted to take a moment there and, and really, Welcome, Kyle, to Penalty Box Radio. You know, certainly glad to have you. Look forward to the things that you know we might and hopefully will do in the future, including this podcast. So 
that was certainly great to be able to have you tonight. So looking ahead on this episode, we'll take a look at the first four Predators games and sort of the dichotomy that we've seen, some of the positive and negative, and out of especially the past week, really try to look for some bright spots because I know there's been a fair amount of negativity flying around and what we've seen from sort of from a positive standpoint. And then after the break, we'll check in on the Milwaukee Admirals, whose season has started, which does require a conversation on Philip Tomasino, but without rehashing all of the why did he get sent down, more about what does he have to do to get sent up. And then lastly, we'll look to the week ahead and see how the Predators can right the ship and bring some of the positivity back to the way that they started over in Prague. So to recap the start of the National Predator season, they started out in Prague, Czechia for the NHL Global Series with two wins over the San Jose Sharks. Two really pretty impressive wins overall. Kyle, what were your kind of main takeaways from those games in Prague? Well, they the Prince in those games, they looked very active in both the offense and defense. Ekholm and McDonough looked really good together. They were making a lot of stops, a lot of takeaways, it seemed like. Just they dominated a bad team in those two games is pretty much what it looked like. Your second line was started out, it was Johansson, Niederreiter, and Sherwood, uh, which was pretty decent. And then they switched to Tolvanen with the other two guys, and it looked really good. UC looked great. Lankanen looked great. Everything just looked good. There was not really any major negatives coming out of those games. Everybody was riding high coming back from Czechia. You have to give a little bit of love to Kiefer Sherwood, even though you know, we don't we don't know where his his spot on the roster may may end up. You know whether he's an an everyday player or not. But you have to give love to a guy coming in from the AHL, signing a one-year deal, making the roster out of camp, and then scoring the first goal of the season within the first minute. That's mm-hmm. actually, that was a pretty cool moment. So respect to Kiefer, Kiefer Sherwood for, for pulling that off and making that play. But yeah, I agree. I think that the team overall looked pretty good, looked fast, looked to be in control against a team that honestly they should beat. And overall, the, there was a lot of positive coming out of those games, kind of with a little bit the third period of the second game where they got ice tilted a little bit, but held on and got the win. Still important. Mm-hmm. And coming out of those, coming back home, the Predators had their home opener against Dallas, and that didn't go as great. Um, that resulted in a four to one loss where the Predators just never really looked to have it together. And then two days later in Dallas for Dallas home opener, really a lot more of the same. And that ended up being a five to one loss. So what I sort of saw and also kind of kick it off about those two games was really just kind of a lot of, ugh, and just not a lot of positives to take out of it that we will cover a few here in a minute. And what I really saw was just a lack of execution in all phases of the game. So Kyle, what did you kind of take away from those as well? In those two games, you had one line that played well out of four forward lines. 
the Johansson Niederreiter Tolvanen line looks pretty good. The top line, Forsberg, Granlin, Duchesne, they do not look like they did last year at all. Somehow they've lost their chemistry. Slow legs, slow legs, passes into skates, bad passes, lots of bad passes, getting out skate, lazy penalties, and just tired. They look tired. They look slow. They look a step slow of Dallas. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I what I saw as well is it wasn't as much of being outplayed end to end, because when you look at some of the analytical backing, especially in the second game, Nashville obliterated Dallas in terms of possession. I mean, significantly was better. But when you get down to the scoring chances, the high danger chances, it starts to tilt a little back towards Dallas's way. And that's where you get into the just kind of sloppy, sluggish play that led to turnovers and odd man rushes and the Predators offensively just not having the legs and the execution to get into those high danger areas and make those plays. So what I would sort of say is I I didn't initially want to write it off as, as jet lag and just being tired, but the more that I've, sort of thought about those games, looked at some of the numbers. I'm really starting to think that they just weren't back to full speed yet. And when you look at it was across the board performance wise, I wonder if they just, they just weren't back yet. And if, if hopefully these upcoming games, we'll see something different. So Kyle, what do you think? Do you sort of write it off to jet lag and being a little worn out and the experience overseas and all the emotions Or at this point, four games in, is there something we should really be concerned about? You look at it, and there was times two players that really stand out to me is Janot and Granlund. Those two guys are constantly working. They're constantly in the play. And they there was a lot of shifts when they were just dragging back to the bench. And that is just not something you normally see with those two guys. And I think if they're struggling, chances are most of the rest of the team is struggling. I know a lot of people are freaking out and saying, oh, it's the coaching, it's the coaching. And it's like I I can't really say the coaching is that much different from the first two games to these two games. I would really love to have those nice little fancy stats that they had from the chips and the jerseys for the player speed. And uh, to be able to see what the difference was from the Prague games to these games, because I just think they were slow. And I know they've been back for five days, but that's a pretty hefty time difference. And these guys are pretty much well-tuned machines. It's like a muscle car. You don't run it on cheap gas. And they're all out of schedule. Their eating schedules are changed. Their sleeping schedules are changed. You kind of think it's going to throw a little bit of a wrench in the works, but we'll have yeah, to see I, tomorrow. No, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, professional athletes, if absolutely nothing else, are creatures of habit to their very core. And you mentioned the the player speed, and it's, it sort of made me think about it. You know, if you're half a half a mile an hour slower than you would normally be, mm-hmm. you're just going to be a little bit late to things and pardon my pop culture references, but it it made me think of 
and I'm making a pretty deep cut here, the movie Any Given Sunday and the inches speech, whereas, you know, a couple inches late or a couple inches early, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere. And if you if you think about that in terms of the games that were played, players were just a little bit late to loose pucks or a little bit late to puck battles. Passes were just a few inches off and they ended up in a skate instead of on a stick blade. And you put some of those plays together and having the proper energy and the proper focus and execution to make them happen. Those might be completely different hockey games. Yeah. You go one play makes a big difference. One penalty that doesn't get called because you were slow and got called for a hook. That's a goal that doesn't get scored. It's inches matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you take the the first goal of the first game against Dallas. Yossi oh, yeah. reaches for the puck instead of taking Marchman's body. Marchman skates right through, gets a breakaway and scores. How often and, does that happen? Yeah. And, and it's off to the races at that point. All right. Enough negativity. Obviously, those games did not go very well. And there's there's plenty of ways to look at it. But wanted to take some opportunities to look at a couple of bright spots of the first four games, because there definitely were a few people worth talking about. And first and foremost, he's not currently leading the team in scoring. That honor goes to Nito Niederreiter, who we'll get to in a minute. But it is definitely worth talking about Ellie Tolvanen, who Mm -hmm. has absolutely brought it from the beginning of camp, through the preseason, through the games in Prague, including his first goal of the season on an absolutely wicked shot to now by the end of the second game supplanting Kiefer Sherwood on the second line and has pretty much locked down that spot pending at some point down the road Philip Tomasino and what he might have to say about it but Ellie Tolvanen has been probably the Predators best forward to this point goals by Needham Ryder notwithstanding and the full ice game that he's playing so Kyle, wanted to get your thoughts on what you've seen so far this season from Ellie Tolpinen. I mean, Ellie is doing everything generally well. The kid is playing on both special teams units. He's on the uh, second power play and he's on the penalty kill. Uh, that goes to tell you they're leaning on him pretty hard because his two-way game is excellent. Uh, one of the biggest things that I think I've seen from him is his confidence level. He seems so much more confident this year than last. And I will use, I think he's, it was Duchesne that he set up for a goal. He's coming in on that left wing, and he's got potentially a shot. Last year, Tolvanen would have freaked out and shot that thing, wristed it from halfway out the circle. Instead, he holds onto the puck, comes in, gets slightly behind the goal, and makes a beautiful – it was Niederreiter. He was on Niederreiter's goal. He passes it to Niederreiter, who then makes an excellent shot to score. That little bit of patience shows me that he is more confident in his game totally that he's able to wait and make this excellent pass. It was one of the best setup plays I've seen in a long time than – freaking out and going, oh, God, I have to try to score because they're going to get rid of me if I do not score these goals. Because that's what it looked like last year. He was flinging everything he could at the net, and it just wasn't happening. And then, you know, he gets this assist. 
And then he comes in and he scores the most Ellie Tolvanist goal that he could score. He puts this thing in a coffee cup at the top of the net, and it's just a beauty. And then you got him out here. He's hitting. He's checking. He's playing great defense. He, right now, at this current moment, is the best all-around forward on the team besides Niederreiter. And that's pretty high praise considering who's playing on this team right now. That line is really, really good. They're, they're probably the first line right now if you really want to get down to brass tacks. They've performed the best, I think, assuming everybody has their legs under them going into tomorrow night's game against L.A., the Grandland line may have something to say about that going forward, but yeah, I think hopefully the, the, they do. Yeah. Very true. So I guess what's sort of, what more do we need to see from Ellie Tolvanen for him to really lock in that second line wing role, not just now, but down the road, the next call it eight to 10 weeks. I think he needs eight to 10 weeks. I think he needs probably 10, 15 goals, at least that, at least probably 20 assists, just and play his game. Just be Ellie Tolvin and play that game just a little bit more on the offensive side than what he was capable of last year. I think really that's all you need from him right now. I would look, I'm saying that kind of conservatively almost. Because I'd love to see him do more because I know he's capable of it. But be a good line mate to those two. Make passes when he's supposed to and take shots when he's supposed to. Uh, and keep this confidence that he's had and this the calmness and the patience. I think those are the big, big factors for him. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's, it is continuing to be somewhat funny that – the next big thing from Tolvanen is, hey, score some goals from yeah. the guy with the all-world shot. But that's really what it is. I mean, he's developed every other part of his game. And the last thing is to sort of go back to what he does so naturally and bring that back in and say, all right, you've got everything else. Now just do what you do and put some pucks in the net. The next sort of bright spot, and we've, we've touched on him a couple times, is Nino Naderider who through now four games has four goals. He had three in Prague and had the lone goal in the second game versus Dallas. And when he was brought in, he was pretty roundly thought to be obviously the, the second line wing, which is what he's filling in now. But the game that he would bring, the possession, the forechecking, the getting to the front of the net, the creating scoring chances, and he has been every bit of that. And playing with Ryan Johansson has been an absolutely perfect match. Kyle, what have you seen from Nino? I think Nino is the preziest player they could have got. He, it's it's like a hand in a well-fitting glove. It's, he should have been here years ago because he fits the MO. He is a John Hines player. He is, I'm going to run you through the glass, and then I'm going to try to score. That's <laughs> – and – if the puck goes in the corner, God help you, because you've got Tolvanen who decided he's going to try to hit everybody, and then you've got Nino and Johansson, and I don't want to get hit by either of those guys. That one, Nino, he brings it. He absolutely brings it. And his offensive touch, 
he's been a third liner in Carolina for years. And I think he kind of got – was kind of getting the shaft a little bit there because he's getting these top six minutes and he's producing like a top six forward. I know the well was pretty deep over there, but they might have missed out on one. And I'm really glad we picked him up if he keeps on producing at the rate he is. Yeah, he is he is fit as well as you could possibly imagine. And yeah, you're right. He is he is the the predziest player to ever pred since Patrick Hornquist, probably. Yeah. Is <laughs> probably the, the the best example of just the 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 predziest type of player. And then so the last bright spot that I wanted to touch on as well was Dante Fabro, who has long been a subject of ire and confusion to many Predators fans. He has been very, very good to start the season. And somewhat ironically, in these two games against Dallas, he probably even stepped up his game a little bit more in terms of he was dominant in possession the defensive pair that he was on, whether it was with Borbietsky or with Yossi, they limited shot share, limited chances, enabled possession offensively for the Predators. Dante Fabro has been very, very good to start this season. Kyle, what have you seen? So one of my least favorite statistics in all of hockey is plus minus. I think it's generally hokey, but looking at the stats right now, there are two defensemen on this team that have a positive plus minus. It's Dante Fabro and Mark Borietsky. Not Roman Yossi, <laughs> not Matias Ekholm. Fabro and Boro are the two with a positive plus minus. I think, and this might sound wrong, I think he is able to thrive on that third line because he's not putting so much pressure on himself. If you look at a lot of the issues that Fabro has had in the past, he's made the big goofs because it looks like he's overthought a play. He's he's thought too much about it and he kind of locks up. Now and I think I don't I hate to go back and blame things that were done in the past, but he never had that development time to kind of be the guy in the AHL. He went straight from college into the NHL mm-hmm. playing with Roman Yossi and everybody else. And I think that really may have stunted him in a way because he yeah. never got that come up through the AHL. And I think playing down on the third, playing with a guy like Boro, playing a guy like Lazan, those two guys are really solid defensively. That allows Fabro to go more to his style of play, which is he's always been a more offensive defenseman. And it's worked out so far. He's he's been able to thrive whenever he's not having to be, whenever he's not going against the Connor McDavid's of the world or the Jason Robertsons and everything else. Uh, he did come up with uh, Yost the last game, but I don't know if that's going to stick or if it was just uh, changing things around because the world was falling apart. But it's interesting to see. And I've been one of those people that have been on the Fabro hate train. So. I'm saying he's looking pretty decent. He's looking pretty decent. I've tried to trade him on multiple occasions, so I can't. I, I can't claim to say that uh, 
I've always been rah-rah Fabro, but I guess on the same side, if I'm trying to trade him, it means he has some value. So he actually has has been doing something right. Yeah, he's just been solid. And that's really the type of player that he was always expected to be. He was never an offensive dynamo. He's not a big physical hammer. He's just a very solid player who, who is smart, can defend the puck, can make the first pass, can skate with it a little bit. And maybe now at, I guess, 24 years old, I think. Still a young kid. We're starting to see some of it come together a little bit. And if that's the case, what a what a huge benefit to the Predators defensive core that would be. If they can keep this decor healthy throughout the season, it has potential to be one of the best decors in all of hockey. There's going to be growing pains. Ekholm playing on his right-hand side. He's a natural left-hand defenseman. You've got some things that are going to take growing, but it's there's potential there. There's a lot of potential there, and Fabro's definitely part of it. Absolutely. Agreed. All right, so we will take it to break. When we return, we will check in on the start of the season for the Milwaukee Admirals and take a look at the week ahead for the Nashville Predators and see how they can ride the ship. This is the Predator Way podcast, and we'll be back in a moment. And we're back on the Predator Way podcast on Penalty Box Radio. I'm your host, Boyd Farish, joined by Kyle Perkins of the Catfish on Ice podcast, as well as Penalty Box Radio. So having taken a look at the Nashville Predators in the first segment, Thought it made sense to take a look now at the AHL affiliate Milwaukee Admirals, who started their season over the weekend with a big 5-2 to win over the defending Calder Cup champions, the Chicago Wolves, who are a very, very good team. And contributions for the Admirals up and down the lineup, both from some of the top prospects, as well as some of the more established players, and I kind of have to ask, with all the talent that's on that team, Kyle, are the Milwaukee Admirals appointment viewing? There are enough in appointment viewing that I bought an AHL TV subscription. So, yeah, they're going to be worth watching this year. You've got a lot of talent down there. You've got all these draft picks that are coming up from juniors or the Preds have finally gotten a few picks in the last couple of years that actually look like they're going to be – might turn into something. You've got Evangelista. You've got Afanasiev, Askarov, Parsonen, Tomasino's down there. You've got a lot of really good, talented players down there that it's going to be a fun season for them. And if the Wolves are kind of the gold standard, especially in their division, if they're playing them like that, that's a good thing. That's – like the Preds going out and beating the Avs. They're they're looking stout right now. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, there's a lot of talent, a, a nice mix of guys with NHL experience along with some of these very, very talented prospects. And I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you saw Kyle at the end of that game where Admiral's goaltender, Devin Cooley, skated out to center ice and the goalie for the Chicago Wolves, Kochetkov. Peter Kochetkov, 
skated out and they were very, very close to a goalie fight. And the, the referees robbed us of a goalie fight. <laughs> and I'm so sad. <laughs> goalie fights are amazing. But, you know, if nothing else, that just sort of highlights the mentality of that team right now is they are ready to kind of, in a way, reclaim their spot. Because if you think back in 2020, the Admirals were the best team in the AHL. They were destroyers. Yeah. And then they lost their season in 21. 22, a bunch of their talent came up to the NHL. The Predators had a bunch of injuries. You know, there was players going back and forth. There was taxi squad times. And it sort of robbed them of the full of what they could be. And I think there's a bit of we're back and we're coming around that organization right now. And that makes them a very exciting team to see. Yes. And you've got so many of these guys on this team that are that are so close to making the NHL roster that they're playing to get noticed so that when – the unfortunate happens in Nashville that they're they're vying to be that first call up. They they want to be the guy that gets that phone call. Hey, come up, we need you for a couple of games, so that they could be the next Tanner Janot that comes up and never goes back down. Absolutely so. right, and there are a number of guys who could fit that possibility. at At the top of that list has to be Philip Tomasino. And as, as I mentioned at the, at the outside of the show, we're, we're not going to rehash all the things that went into him being sent down. But I think probably the more important conversation is, in your mind, Kyle, what does Tomasino have to do to earn his way back to the NHL, say, by Thanksgiving? So five, six-ish weeks. He's going to need to score goals. I mean, points. Points, points, points. He's got to play defensively sound, but I think for the role they're wanting him for, it is all about points. He is he is destined to be a top six guy. They have a pretty well-set mold for their bottom six. Tomasino's not that type of player. He's never been that type of player. He is a flashy I'm going to make moves and deke you out of your skates. He needs to show that he is a top six talent. That is, he needs to score on the power play. Just he needs to be the man. He needs to be the guy in Milwaukee. Well, I think as, as much as the, the, the point total specifically, I, I think you kind of hit on it. Like He has to be the guy in the way that for the Predators, a, a Forsberg or a Duchesne, is the guy in the vein of you're down by a goal with five minutes left. Who can you turn to, to just go get you a goal who can just (laughs) go, just go will one. And that's the kind of player that Tomasino has to show he can be. And if he can show that over the next month and a half with some of the players that are coming up, coming in down, coming in and out of the roster in Nashville, that will show the front office and the coaching staff that, he's ready to return to the lineup and be a contributor kind of consistently night in, night out. That's exactly it. He needs to be consistent in his 
ability to make these contributions. It can't be a flash in the pan. He has to do it on a game-to-game basis. And I think there was some kind of preseason comments from Coach Carl Taylor, some of them related to Tomasino, but there are some particularly interesting ones related to someone who I thought, and I think many others thought, probably should have made the opening night roster, was one of the best forwards through training camp, and that is Yuso Parsonen. So, Kyle, why don't you run us down kind of what what Carl Taylor said and what you think that means for kind of the weeks ahead or the months ahead. So uh, this is coming from an article that was written by Eric Denae over at uh, On The Forecheck. You can find him at, at On The Future. I think that's his Twitter handle. If I'm wrong, Eric, I'm sorry. Um, much, much respect, Eric Denae. He does he is phenomenal amazing. work. Amazing. And he's the reason why I started following you. So back when he was drafted, and he was a seventh-round draft pick that still blows my mind. But anyway, uh, I'll go on to what Carl Taylor had to say about you. So uh, he said, I will say if he's here for a full season, I'll be shocked. He's very pro-ready, mature, physical, and everything he does is detailed. He plays with pace, determination, maturity, and attention to detail that shows he's trying to demand another opportunity to go back to Nashville. That's great for the other players to be challenged by how he's going about his business. And then Taylor added, I love working with him. He's a very intelligent young man, very determined to find his way back to Nashville. If you look at this kid, he is 6'3", 212 pounds. He is not a small centerman. Nashville's had this issue for a while with centers who are small but very talented. Parsonen is both. He is a big kid with excellent hands. He's an excellent passer. Uh, he has his teammate from TPS over with him in Milwaukee and Marcus Nermy, and they've already hooked up for a goal so far. Uh, if I'm remembering right, that's who Parsonen got his assist on the goal. And he's just – if you watch the kid play, he does not look like he's – his age. He plays much older than he's very just he's a solid player. He's going to be a great middle six centerman. Fortunately, there's a lot of middle six centermen on the Nashville Predators. <laughs> so I, th- I really do think if the first time you have that unfortunate phone call that has to be made for a centerman, that is your guy that's coming up. And I don't think it's even a discussion. I put out a tweet pre-free agency that I thought Parson would be the opening night fourth line center in Nashville. And he almost pulled it off. So, you know, it's, it's not impossible. Certainly that he's going to make it back up. I I think he will make it back up at some point this season. Carl Taylor is saying it. There's reasoning behind it. He's not saying it on accident. And I was very impressed watching him in person in the preseason with the type of game that he plays. I think he has some little things in terms of being a bit more selfish when the shot opportunities are there and being a bit less deferential, which is not uncommon for a young center. Oftentimes the, they, they think they need to make the pass first and not take the shot. But as he sort of figures out the right time to shoot versus pass 
on North American ice, he is really going to be in a position to do a lot of good things, both in Milwaukee at the start of the year and probably in Nashville later on down the line this season. He doesn't do a lot of things wrong. That's It's hard to describe his game because it's not flashy at all. It's just there. It's there's not a lot of mistakes. There's not a lot of oh, that was a bonehead play. He if he makes a mistake, it's small, and you don't normally see it repeated very often. Watching him overseas, he's he hasn't really changed his style of play coming from there to here. He's pretty much picked up where he left off. I'm hesitating to say this because I'm just I'm hot taking myself and I know I'm I'm doing it and I'm just screw it. I'm going in full throttle watching him play with his size and the way he retrieves pucks, turns over pucks, turns them into offense, creates plays. Granted, he's a center versus a winger, and I'm not saying he's going to ascend to this level, but he reminds me a lot of Mark Stone. Yeah, very similar, very similar cut from that same cloth. I guess you could say, I don't, I don't know if he'll be that level, but it's very, very similar. Not a lot of flash, but what's there is extremely good and solid. Yeah. Big physical forward or checks is just a menace back checking, turning pucks over and turning that into offense. Yep. That's what makes Mark Stone a Selkie finalist and a great player all over the ice. And if that's the type of game Parson and continues to play, he will do very good things at the NHL level. I agree. And I can't wait for it. All right. So wrapping up the episode with a look at the week ahead for the Nashville Predators upcoming, well, tomorrow night for me, it's, I think it's, tonight for you Kyle but in four minutes in four minutes Nashville will take on the LA Kings who are coming off of a back-to-back against uh, Detroit then on Thursday night they will travel to Columbus to play the Blue Jackets who are unfortunately for them without Patrick Laine for a number of weeks ahead sad to see him him get hurt this early in the season and then they will return home and on Saturday night, they will face the very interesting Philadelphia Flyers. So an important early season week in terms of shaking off some of the inconsistency, shaking off the jet lag, and really starting to get back to the game that was seen through a very productive preseason, through the games in Prague, and really reestablishing themselves going into the end of October and going into November. So Kyle, what are your expectations for the Predators this week? I think they kind of get back to their game against the Kings. Uh, They get, I'm really expecting to see some of that speed come back. They played with in Prague. Uh, The biggest thing right now, and I know everybody's going to be like, Oh, it's just, fifth, sixth game of the season, you really got to get those four points against Philly and uh, Columbus because those points matter just as much as they do at the end of the season as they do right now. So you got to make your hay whenever the sun's shining and 
the sunshine in the last half of this coming week. Those games, I really expect to – you want Nashville to come out and play their game and not play down to their competition, which last year they had a big issue with. They would come out and they would play the good teams really, really well, and then they would play a team like Arizona or something like that, and it's all of a sudden a slugfest with them. Mm-hmm. They're, they need to come out and play and play assertive in these games against teams that are quote-unquote lesser teams. But the big test is going to be against the Kings. The Kings are a good team. The only godsend they've got going right now is they just went to overtime tonight with the Red Wings and uh, won five to four. So hopefully, you hate to you hate to say you hope they're tired when they come into Nashville tomorrow night, but you kind of hope they're tired when they come into Nashville tomorrow <laughs> night. So from a from a record perspective, what's your expectation for the Predators this week? I'm about 50-50 on the Kings game, and they should win the other two. They should. Okay. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go two oh and one. I think they'll I think they'll beat LA. I think they'll beat Philly. I think Columbus at home pushes them to overtime. I could see that. Columbus has good goaltending. Yes. So then what is your prediction then? for who will be the Predators' number one star of the week? Roman Yossi. Because Yossi's more the leader that takes it on himself and it's like, I'm going to put this team on my back and I'm going to go with it. And I think after the last two games and just seeing him, he looked very frustrated. And I think he's going to come out and he's going to go gangbusters. And I believe he's going to be the star in the next few games. An excellent choice, to be sure. For myself, I'm going to go with UC Saros. I think he's going to start two, possibly all three of these games since there's not a back-to-back. And he's been off to a bit of a rough start. Not entirely his fault. Um, If you watched those games against Dallas especially, there were breakaways on some of the power plays. Some of the goals were just tap-ins off of rebounds because people were uncovered. So I'm not going to hang those games on Saros, but I think he's going to look at nine goals over two games and basically say no mas. And he's going to come out this week and decide he's not giving up goals. I think he probably goes 2-0-1 this week and has at least if at least two, if not three, really fantastic performances. I think that's probably a pretty good prediction. He's UC is an excellent goaltender, and it's not like him to get shelled like that. Uh, God, Dallas just has our number for some reason. He don't understand it. Well, as as the phrase goes in in other sports, uh, styles make fights, and. Dallas just has a style that in recent years has worked against Nashville. And that will be up to John Hines to figure out over the course of the season and how to, how to combat that. Well, that will do it for this episode of the predator way podcast on penalty box radio. Once again, I'm your host Boyd Farish joined today by Kyle Perkins. Always great to have Kyle on the show. You can find me on Twitter at Boyd underscore one, two, one, two. 
And you can find my written work on penaltyboxradio.com. Kyle, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at kperk86. You can also hear me uh, at least once a week on the uh, Catfish on Ice podcast. And you can find my written work on Penalty Box Radio. And that sounds really weird to say to me, but I'll get used to it. Weird, but fantastic. And we are definitely very excited to see more of what you have to come. So thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. And be well. See you soon. 